Hello operatives, welcome to episode 9 of Once Upon a Kill Team, the podcast about narrative play in the Warhammer 40k Kill Team. I'm Sean. And I'm Jason, and we want to talk to you about building stories around the gameplay in this grim, dark, terrible universe. In this episode, we talk about what you can do if your team is uncompetitive and if you are not winning many games in your campaign. We discuss how this might arise and some ideas on how to mitigate or think differently about it. We've also got our friend Nick on to join us to talk about it. Say hi, Nick. Uh, hi, Jason and Sean. Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, great to be here and looking forward to discussing how to boost an uncompetitive kill team as a person in our campaign group who probably has the most pre-planned team of the lot. Yeah, I'll say so. Uh, you're, you're somebody who actually likes a tournament. Yeah, that's that. That's true. <laughs> Granted, I, I'll, I'll caveat that I'm not that bothered about winning it's more just about practice and getting better i like your attitude but this first segment's not about winning it's about hobbying which i think is something we can all all three of us really love doing uh oh. sean what have you been up to i've been taking part of the uh phobos challenge from uh ben at battle brothers tabletop and uh threes to wound i've been building up and in a mad dash effort last night painting up some Phobos Marines. I thought I might just run through each of my operatives. We have my Reaver Sergeant here on camera for no one else to see apart from Jason and Nick. This is the best podcast um, friendly stuff. I for, could, a, I, for an audio format. Uh, it is I just have a, to report back to my to listeners that this, this model looks great. <laughs> uh, he's a Silver Skull in honour of Jason's Phobos team. Yay! And I've modelled him with the grapnel launcher, he's got the, the heavy bolt pistol, and he's got a little goliath knife with the chains hanging off it on the back for a suitably brutal weapon. I'm quite happy. The, the shoulder pad came out really, really tidily last night, despite me doing it at nearly 2 o'clock in the morning, I think. I think I may just blast through the rest. We have a raptor's marksman. Uh, notable bits used was Samael's jet bike scope and servo skull on the top of the backpack. Very cool. He's going to be he's going to be seeing most things. Who have we got next? We have my oh so sneaky howling griffins mine layer with checkered yellow and red arms. Nothing says nothing says stealth like red and yellow checker. Have you seen some of the other contenders in the in the yeah. challenge? <laughs> I I think they subscribe to um, the school of stealth that my alpha legionaries do that they can't report back if they're all dead. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have I have a commsman who has managed to gain some tau uh, communication bits and tech, and I'm sure that helps him in some way. By the way, these are all death watch, so xenos technology is silently allowed. With my medic, I have my first foray into Forge World resin with a Red Scorpion's uh, shoulder pad. Sweet. Apparently the Red Scorpions were one of the chapters with the most amount of apothecaries, so I thought it would be apt. Yeah, they're um, very zealous in maintaining their gene seed quality, so they're, they're adamant about recovering as much as they can. As an aside, uh, where we play a lot of our games, Badmin Cafe, there's a whole cabinet full of Red Scorpion models like a load and uh, I, I walked past it thinking how cool they look are they the ones at the back yeah yeah they look maybe really nice. i've maybe i've subconsciously taken it all in maybe that was the inspiration 
And then for Sal, I have an Imperial Fists uh, veteran who's suitably suited and booted with a pretty custom gun. And I've given him Tor Garadin's beefed up cabled arm. Yeah, it works surprisingly well considering um, obviously Garadin's and Gravis armor. But it doesn't look <laughs> out of place. <laughs> He's the um. polar opposite of these slinky, sneaky marines. Mm. It's just a shame you can't give him a power fist. Yeah, yeah, quite. No Phobos power fists here. What have you been up to, Jason? That that's kind of me, in a nutshell. Just getting out these uh these six marines. Well, I I I've got to give an apology to our listeners. I'm incredibly sorry, everybody. I've broken my vow of not kit bashing. I was seduced by the chaos prince. Ben from Battle Brothers Tabletop into doing his Phobos challenge. I was fully intending just to build out-of-the-box Phobos guys, uh, but Ben really convinced me to give it a scope. So uh, for my uh, Phobos chaps, for extra kill teaminess and spec opsiness, I've given all the infiltrators suppressors, which makes them their guns just look a little bit longer, five plus lethal. Uh, the two incursors, the marksman and the uh, mine layer, have camo capes or camo cloaks, mm. and I'm really pleased with that. This is my first go with green stuff, which I've never used before in my life, and I can't believe it's come out as well as it has for a first go. The bit that we don't need to talk about is why they turned up on planet with woodland camo, and it's basically a desert world. The base is all kind of, kind of ready brownie <laughs> desert, so they turn up with the wrong capes. But we didn't talk about that. Well, the the nice thing with the Phobos guys is that they've got <laughs> um, active camo capes. Like it can, it's like the the dusty rock cape in Lord of the Rings. Like it changes the environment. So they've just got to click it to the next dial. Uh, sure, yeah. we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> we'll say that. And uh, thanks to Sean for uh, letting me have an eliminator rifles for the marksman, which I'm really pleased with. So all told, not crazy craze on the kit bashing side, but I'm very pleased. There's silver skulls, so they're all kind of decked out in kind of steel and black. Yeah, really, really chuffed. I think I think for a first foray into kit bashing, that's like a pretty comprehensive list. Like of all the techniques you could do. You've just gone through oh, all okay. of them. <laughs> I mean, it's just the other thing, really. I, 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 don't, I don't think I'd ever really realised the full, how, how deep the rabbit hole goes on buying bits. Oh, yeah. oh my God, Sean, you've, I feel like you've, you know, you've, you've, you've got me on sort of plastic, well, it's the plastic crack thing, but I feel you've, mm. you gave me a freebie and then some links to some websites. I, I sent Jason all of my UK and EU links for bit sites. Um, and if anyone else wants them, do just get in contact because they're open on my computer all the time. So I'll right, just be able to yeah. copy and paste the link. That is dangerous stuff, Sean, because I've found myself purchasing a few bits for teams I don't even have at the moment. Yeah. So that's what it's got down to. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, buddy. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the other thing that was kind of amusing me is I was putting on the decals because most of them have got that kind of up arrow battle line thing on their uh, what is it, their right shoulder. But of course, the, the infiltrator veteran, he's a veteran, so I gave him the veteran sort of cross thing. 
However, I was thinking he's going to be furious when he finds out that he starts as an adept in the narrative campaign and not yeah, actually sorry, a veteran. You've been demoted. <laughs> he's going to be so angry. I didn't get to be in the first company and not be an adept. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy Nick silently nodding in approval to all your um, correct uh, uh, formation what? markings. Well, I, I was actually considering putting all veteran crosses on my ones because by the end of the campaign they're all going to be super leveled anyway so I may as well start when they're going to finish you're so optimistic <laughs> uh, anyway that, that kind of amused me I also had had fun in anticipation of the blooded team that I'll be probably talking about more on the next episode I did I, I just ordered a pack of Ogrins normal Ogrins because I don't like the chaos Ogrin and uh, I plan basically to run the um, run the blooded team as kind of loyalist predominantly, uh, with a with a twist hopefully, which I'll tell you more about. But anyway, I've been I've been lusting after the Ogrin models for years, so I finally got them and I made one. And after sorry, after the after vowing I would never kit bash again, of course I immediately kit bashed the Ogrin so that he has a ripple gun and a power maul, so he can represent the that kind of chaos mod, mod uh, Ogrin model. Yeah, so I think I that. think you've fallen down the rabbit hole there where. Instead of going to a bit site and getting the specific bits you needed, you've bought a box. So now you've got all these extra bits lying around for future projects. Mm. I can give up any time I want. <laughs> I'm not addicted. Uh, I choose to get these things, not because I need them, because they're fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the start of a slippery slope. I mean, Sean's seen how much stuff I have in my bits box. Um uh, I think it's more of a bits flat, Nick. I don't yeah. think I don't think we can refine it down to a box. Yeah, true. Talk, talking of a man with a problem, what's your hobby hobby been like this week? <laughs> so I have done a few things um, this week. So I picked up a few issues from um, Imperium for the Necrons because I already have a fairly sizable amount from um, Indomitus because I got two boxes of that for my Marines, and which means I basically got a Necron army out of it in the process. So you might as well. Yeah, but I um I couldn't decide on colour scheme and the rules were bad until the most recent balance uh, update for Big 40k. So they're still basically just primed, but um but I do wanna I do wanna start painting them and Necrons have got to be due for a bespoke team at some point in the near future because there must. aren't there aren't that many left. So it's just getting them ready for that. So I built a bunch of Ghost Blaster Immortals, and I've already got Tesla and um, Death Marks and Warriors. So I just need a couple of uh, the Triarch Praetorians and the um, uh, Lich God to get them ready, and I'll probably run them once we get rules for a bespoke team. Uh, so I built all those. I had to do a bunch of green stuffing because the Necron Warrior, the Necron Immortal uh, sculpts are awful for having a massive gap in the center shoulder pad where it doesn't line up properly. You'd think for, for a skeletal figure, they get the rib cage right on it. You'd think so, but I actually find all the skeletal ones, are like the from some building some AOS ones, are also all the worst, because uh, they're tiny contact points and stuff. But, oh, um, sure. But anyway, they're, they're all built. I've green stuffed a shoulder pad, all the shoulder pads together. Uh, I did kit bash the leader a bit, so um, I took the uh, Royal Warden, because I had two of them, and I basically cut off his little... You you know the tri the, the ex excess trim he has with the uh, like he's got like a things. he's got like a cape shard hasn't he? 
Yeah, like a half cape thing attached to his arms. I've trimmed, yeah. all, I trimmed all that off to uh, make him look a little bit... He's, he's still ornate, but not quite as ornate as... Uh, a bit more noble. basic. Yeah. Yeah, and then I also, I also... I haven't been doing the Phobos challenge, but I wanted a Phobos team, so I've also built an airbrush on my Raptors, and I'm just doing the rest of the base coating now. So, yeah, that's my hobby for the week. And your look, your raptors look are looking nice. incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I try. The um, I'm. I think my biggest problem is uh, I like them to look very pretty, so I take forever to get them painted. You're a, you're a bit of a perfectionist with the paint job, aren't you? Yeah, I I definitely fall into that trap of uh, the perfect being the enemy of the good. As my manager at work will attest, I'm very much uh, the uh, finished is better than perfect. <laughs> <laughs> is that a compliment? <laughs> no, no, not really. Well, it depends. It, 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 well, this is it. I mean, I kind of, I, I, I do. I, I think I, I, I'm certainly hobby-wise. I'm very happy with good enough, generally getting um, the job done. So, and I, and also, I mean, I, I, I intentionally picked the silver skulls in part because undercoated lead belcher, null oil black, and you know, jobs are jobs good. Because uh, I got, I got, I got, I got. I seem to spend a million years doing edge highlighting on some marines before, and I kind of saw my life disappear. So, um, mm. uh, apologies for my laziness, everyone. Not at all, because they still look great. Yeah, I think you should paint to what you're, what you, what you find, you know, acceptable. And you know, there's no, there's no right or wrong for what's a good paint standard. Everyone's different. But um, having invested in all the brushes and the airbrush and all that stuff, and been on painting courses with people like Siege, you know. Um, I've learned how to do all these fancy techniques, so I kind of want to put them into practice. Sounds that's reasonable. completely understandable. Well, that's enough of this hobby nonsense. What about games? We're here to talk about actual games. Get the games in. I know you two have been playing. Yeah. I, uh, very unboringly, we, we had uh, Orc Stodies versus the Raptors' first talent, which is Nick's Phobos team. Nick's got a tournament coming up, so we did a couple of we did a match play mission. We did it as a counts as narrative mission with the we we did loot and salvage, the mission loot and salvage in place of uh, the the place sensors. So we got the rewards for place sensors, but we played loot and salvage. It was similar enough, just to get some practice. Yeah, I mean narratively we're aiming for basically the the orcs, um, like like want to loot everything and the the raptors were placing the sensors inside the loot to you know so they can basically find their base and then do a do a decapitation strike on the entire team these were all these were all my piles of stuff and these mucky marines have got their mitts all over everything it was it was really good for me i killed so many <laughs> marines granted it was one of nick's first games with them so it's a I think there's quite a cognitive load on running the Phobos Marines. Yeah, they're. Um, we'll talk about my legionaries a bit later, I think. But the they're a very different team in comparison to uh, to them. It's very much a finesse team. They don't have a huge amount of raw damage output, so getting all the synergies right is um, is very very key. And if you mess that up, you uh, you will get punished quite badly. <laughs> and. For my victory and all the XP that everyone gained, we had a rank up on my leader Grucroll. He got focused, 
so he counts as APL4 for holding objectives. Werbel Wrecker got Blade Work, which lets him re-roll an extra melee dice. And Groz Throttler, ironically the guy with the massive mechanical claw is my sneaky scout specialist, he got <laughs> Covert. So so when he's activated I can change his order if I, if I fancy after deployment. Clank, 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 clank. He's stealthy. You can't see nothing. I think it's. I think it's more the fact that if you hear him running towards you, you are the ones hiding, so, so no one ever sees him. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, orcs. I mean, orcs are basically magic. They they think something's true, then it is true. So he probably just thinks he's super stealthy, and he is by virtue of that. That is a good point. That is a good point. Yeah, Another he one. thinks it, so it's true. Another one is because I'm using the the Underworlds models. The the model for Gros Throttler actually is barefoot, so he hasn't mm. got the big metal boots running around. He's running around Flintstone style on tippy toes. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jason, you've gotten quite a few games in since we last recorded. Yeah, quite a few. I, I just I just I run through a couple that I thought were interesting. So with Dave P out there, we. We had a couple of games in, in one evening, which is unusual for us because we're uh, normally quite slow players. <laughs> anyway, we we um, uh, Dave is very keen to try a boss battle, and he he found and I love this 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 sort of story. He found two classic dreadnoughts, some you know um, from the nineties. I might see if I can find a picture of these and put them up, but they're um, they're the old fashioned dreadnoughts. Um, and he, he found a couple that he bought when he was like 10 or something or wow. 11. And he said that, you know, the original paintwork, it was like sort of half an inch thick. And so when he tried to, when he stripped it, it sort of came off in like sort of <laughs> layers. And then he sort of re. Did you do an Instagram post about this? And, and people, done, can, yeah. people can go see these these ancient models. But he's done a, he's done a really nice more modern uh, paint job now the older adult Dave, definitely uh, who knows what he's doing um when it comes to painting um anyway just uh, we're doing a future episode on boss battles so partly this is this is to kind of contribute to that some research but, um but we, i can tell you just just a plot spoiler for that episode doing a boss setting up the rules for a boss are not straightforward mm. or at least they're not easy. So we, we, we had these two dreads that were quite powerful and they had like 25 wounds and two up saves and all this sort of thing. They were pretty much both toast in about three rounds against multiple AP <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, when there's, so, when there's only two big targets, there's nothing else to really focus fire on, is there? Well, that's it. And, and we, did, we didn't... I know there's a kind of... Um, I think Glass Half Dead did a suggestion that you could just make a boss activate, you know, basically every other activation. Yeah. Um, so we didn't do it like that. So that might be something. Anyway, the uh, that was a quick game because they were just, you know, smouldering wrecks in in two turns, I think. But then we had a, we just had a very very quick game of my then unpainted Phobos versus his Death Watch. His undercoated death watch that was a bit of a marine on marine game and we just wanted to try out the new rules and try out some moroc terrain so how did you find it? Game. well the moroc terrain was, was pretty interesting we played a centuries you know that that beginning bit the centuries bit which i 
uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk, talk about more on a later later po- podcast. But I think I, so. I'm, I'm, I'm not immediately a, a fan. Let's just put it that way. And uh, but the game itself was really good. It, it, uh, uh, having run Wormblade and Vetguard a lot, having saving a shot was pretty remarkable. I couldn't believe someone shot me and I was still alive. Yeah, that doesn't happen. I, I was a bit. In, it's, it's almost so weird when you play something. And I just expected to take the model off, you know, almost automatically as soon as someone shoots me. And it was like, oh, no, he's still there. That's really weird. Um, and uh, I think we didn't we didn't play with equipment or I can't remember. We didn't we, we, just, we just didn't ignore a few of the rules. Yeah, you kept it bare bones. Bare bones. So so so. But what was really nice is it came down to the last activation of the game where my reaver sergeant used the terror special rule to claim an objective that the other person was on and it was quite sweet to use that particular you know which i thought was going to be a you know rule that wouldn't come up much (laughs) or or you wouldn't use it much but the fact that it came down last last turn game that, that was pretty sweet i'd also like to report um, I played Guy from our group, who's very good. He plays Corsairs. I, I got absolutely demolished. If anyone remembers a previous episode where I went to a tournament and got tabled in two turns by a Corsairs team, I'd like to reassure you I made it to turn four and still had operative, a couple of operatives alive. But that's the, all the good news. In In two, I think it was two activations, possibly three activations, he killed six of my operatives, including the Kellamore. Oh did, my god! Did, did he did he get you with the wombo combo where the the guy with the two pistols goes forward and basically just deletes two models and then um, he, he chain activates with the leader? That is the one. That is the yeah. one. And what I thought was quite narratively uh, sort of thematic and interesting was the pistolier, the corsair pistolier, shot the Kellamore, who is basically a you know, a Western gunslinger, Mr. Gunman. So I was thinking of it, it was like a quick draw, mm. and the Corsair quick, quick Corsair pistolier was just a bit quicker. Shots at high um, So that was a bit of a shock. Two activations, and you've got six six players suddenly um, in the in the casualty bin. But yeah, but then I sort of came good. I played uh, Patrick from our group, who has some fantastic, fantastic high high fleet team, and we played eliminate. Uh, target, which is sort of about, about you have to, he has to protect his leader, and I have to kind of kill his leader, and I think that kind of helped. You know, that's the sort of thing that lent itself to my team a little bit, and I, I got I got I got a win there. Uh, but there was some there was some great there was some really great moments in the game that I that I really liked. I really um, enjoyed playing against Patrick and his Tyranids. Yeah, and I gave I gave the Locus. Thank you, Sean. Uh, I'm, I still haven't painted them up yet, but the, the new Locust Nemo, his first run out, um, and this could be the worst matchup for a close, you know, a close, a close <laughs> specialist is against a, mm. uh, <laughs> a team where everybody's good play <laughs> close combat. Yeah, you're just trading models at that point. But I did, I did get to do the thing where you know someone's going near him, and the Locust can basically ambush the other person mid mid movement that was pretty that was pretty sweet otherwise yeah yeah really good game thank, thanks to patrick for for a, for a great time uh those are my games uh oh no, sorry that, that was where i finished my spec up so i've i'm now 
one's Beckoff done. Uh, that feels like a pretty pretty big moment. Uh, I didn't get very I didn't get very far into my spec up with the vet guard when I was playing them, so I was a bit more focused at this time by doing the thing, whatever the thing is that you needed to progress the spec up is the thing I concentrated on, kind Making of more sure you're winning. scoring your tack ops. Yeah, we might we might talk about this later. Anyway, some really fun games, but I think we'll move on. Yeah, of course, Nick. What have you managed to to get in? Obviously, there's no last time, but. I think you're you're normally quite busy during during the month in Kill Team. Yeah, I've got um four games in now with the Phobos. Uh two versus Sean's Orcsodies, uh one versus um Gorm's uh Crop Veteran Guard, which um uh, I feel like I'm based most of my matches so far are a grudge match against um Orcs. <laughs> uh and I played um I played Ants uh crew as well. But yeah, they, they were they were really fun. The uh, I started the guard game. That was quite an interesting challenge as Phobos because you'd, you'd think inherently that they'd probably be quite good into them with because um, the guardman on average uh, on average you don't quite kill them, but you do cripple them with bolt of fire. We played launch strike, and because uh, the the center of the board is actually quite quite open, it made it quite difficult to despite having really good mobility, it made it quite difficult to go out and get on the on the mid board. Without basically being deleted by like Melter or Plasma or or the uh, the demo guy who did actually manage to get his mine off and blew up my uh, my medic and crippled my veteran. Oh no! Which hopefully shouldn't happen now that the the medic has leveled up and has uh, the five up feel no pain. But <laughs> but yeah, I failed just the amount I needed to have him die. Uh, and I also uh, I also lost sight of where the melt gun was, so I I traded my Reaver Sergeant really badly. Um, <laughs> But yeah, really, really fun match. Um, I did, I did manage to hang in until the end, but it was a fairly convincing victory for for Gorm's uh, veteran Grocks because I basically kind of had to concede half the board after I took a fairly punishing turn two with like half the team dying. Oh, I feel you. It to be fair, it was it was mistakes on my part. I uh, I should have just um, sabotaged the train and moved back and then played more cagey or. Or were charge you, were the melter. Quite aggressive against them. A little bit. It was more. Uh, it's more. I didn't have because um, they're a finesse team, and if you mess up, if you basically if you mess up the deployment and who's backing up who, it can be quite tricky to come back from it. Um, so I I think my mistake was uh, more how I'd set my operatives out in the deployment, even with the redeploy, and then it came back to bite me, and uh, just forgetting where is and losing sight of where his melt gunner was. Well, those two things, and uh, also because uh, legionaries don't have mines, I'm uh, being a learning experience how to use them properly to to full effect with the remote destinate and the proximity. Because some some pretty poor placement on the proximity also came back to bite me. But um, yeah, there's quite a lot to think about when you're playing with them. But yeah, it was it was a fun match, uh, fairly convincing win for Gorm. He did launch the missiles into a, an orc settlement, although I don't think it was Sean's. So. That grudge match still has to happen. <laughs> Can't we say it's Shorts? <laughs> maybe, maybe. And then I played uh, Ants uh, Crew. This was a, there was a few days in between this, so I'd had time to decompress and reflect on my first two games with them. And it, I feel this that was probably the first game I think where they'd actually clicked for me on how to use them properly and how to basically have them all work together. So just keeping, you know, the ones who need to support each other, like the 
the medic and the comms and the veteran, for instance. Tend to I tend to use them as a unit, and then you have like the saboteur who's on his own. You know, plants a key objective, falls back, maybe does a triangulate, and then if he does die, it doesn't matter because um, he's already activated. His, he's already put his mind down, and the comms can make him blow it up for with an action. So that was that was an interesting match. We we played. Um, I think it's Into the Storm or something. It's the Morak one. Outrun basically, the Storm. Outrun the Storm. Yeah, mm -hmm. we played the Morak one where um, basically if you're out in the open, you count as injured. But, um, uh, but obviously Phobos have a rule to just ignore being injured. So you combine that with Vanguard, which basically means on Morak you can fly pretty much with them. For, uh, for yeah. those who don't know, what, what does Vanguard do for you? Uh, so it's plus one movement. You ignore the first two inches going up and going down and you also ignore traversables so basically barricades don't matter you just go straight over them like your harlequins so, so you're, you're hurdling over these massive iron wrought fences yeah you're basically parkouring everywhere pretty much but between like the hyper mobility i basically built an early primary lead by getting getting uh, one of the objectives and holding the door when he didn't have any and then I, I, I can't let you go on Nick I've I, yeah. come into my brain the scene from The Office where you know Michael <laughs> Scott does parkour parkour yeah, parkour yeah. I don't know if we can include that in that clip <laughs> so, but, but that I'll, sounds I'll amazing yeah. really, I'll bring it in parkour parkour extreme parkour parkour but yeah they basically got full, they moved forward um, Ant then tried to push me back by charging me with like four crew hounds, two on each side, but um, the Reavers basically just killed them both in melee, and because uh, I had two Reavers that game. And then I, I, I basically focused on the other flank and collapsed it, and then he, he uh, Ant then focused on finishing his spec op, so he, he he had like four guys covering the one the one interloper just trying to get off the board. So. Uh, he did. He did complete his spec op and got off the board, um, basically escaping into the storm with the the loot from the ruined Imperial outpost. But um, yeah, really fun game. And then Sean and I had a, a rematch yesterday, which was another match play mission, but re reskinned as something else. But um, super tight, uh, draw 10-10, where I I think probably the deciding factor for the entire game was um, me being able to get on the centre point and get an early primary lead. Uh, because after that, after that, you just came turn in. Turn one or turn two? It was really early on. It was turn one. Yeah, you he got up there, consecrated, got the got the primary points, then died immediately next turn. But it was uh, just enough to. It was between that and denying you your kill secondaries. That was just enough to bring it to a draw. Don't get many draws. No, draws do not happen often. It's normally either just tipped or a massive victory. <laughs> Uh, it is very much the attitude of American sports where you're not allowed to draw and they'll do everything they can to not get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. tie for our American users. We've got to have um, a winner. That sounds good. Uh, do you, I've got one question for you, Nick. The um, And this will become relevant in our main section. Um, did, are, are the little boosts that, that the crew had, do you think that makes them a... Uh, are they a competitive team now? I think they probably need a little bit more, but it's definitely steps in the right direction like the skinning knives for instance uh actually really good because it we boost it so they get an extra attack and i think i'm not sure if the damage has changed but it's basically five attacks at three five and as and has a specialist who gets plus one crit damage um as well so it's basically a three six melee weapon 
and it's only one equipment point for him, so or one or two. But that makes a big difference because in mo it's going into most things, they can generally kill kill a model in two hits, with the exception of like power armor. But you will you will cripple them, and um, uh, I think the the increasing the ballistic skill on the crew rifle is is awful is also helpful. Although I that didn't, was the the hunting rifle. The hunting rifle, wasn't it? yeah. Although I didn't actually give Ant a target that he could shoot because I stayed on conceal or I was in melee combat the entire the entire game pretty much, um, and then I shot him on a vantage point before he got to act. But <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that helps. I think what I would do is I think what I would do to give them a little bit more. I would um, I would probably make Gory Feast a strategic or tactical ploy again, and I would give them the Phobos thingy where it's. Rather than a strategic ploy, they basically just have the same thing for Gorilla, where they can, for an action point, go back into Conceal. Because it would give them mobility, or they can shoot and then go back into safety. Um, I think that's probably the big change I would make on them. That was Fieldcraft, wasn't it? Yeah. And it feels thematically kind of correct as well, to have that kind of ability. It feels like a innately crooty thing to do. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, definitely step in the right direction, but they probably need a little bit more. I would also probably still give them access to frag and crack as well, especially with the the limits that you can only take one of each now. So I don't think there'd be anything broken about them having that. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, that brings us to the next section of the podcast where we talk about a background from one of the teams in our narrative group. And as Nick is here, we're going to embarrass him by reading his out in front of him. <laughs> but it's really good. So this is his Hydra's Fangs, the legionary chaos. And I've faced these a number of times. So if you're listeners to this podcast, you'll be familiar with these evil brutes. E evil brutes. So I'll be, I'm running them as loyalists, but, you know, everyone's evil in the 40, 40th, 41st millennium. When you grizzly trophy someone, Nick, that's not... That's not the good guys. No good guy. I'll <laughs> be the baddies. <laughs> Commander, the Oculus facility on Carrion in Segmentus Obscurus has reported intrusions from the mutant, the heretic, and the Xenos. You are to infiltrate the system, disrupt all enemy operations, perform a decapitation strike. On the opposition and secure the facility's continued operation. The research into the Noctilith pylons contained in the Oculus facility must be preserved. A third path through the Cicatrix Maledictum and the potential future warp suppression of the ruinous powers cannot be lost. Hunt well, brother. Hydra Dominatus, Harrow Master Janik. Nice. I think you can tell the uh, my inspiration for that was probably Dawn of War too, and the you know like all the Space Marine team you lead on that throughout the uh, the process. I think that that kind of just tails onto last week's episode where we talked about you know inspiration for your team. That sounds like a perfect one to me. Definitely. So before we get on to the the main segment of the show, I think uh, everyone's favourite segment. We have a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Warpo Vision. It can be tough keeping up with the latest sports results when you are flying through the warp. Every navigator needs Warpo Vision, eight channels of uninterrupted action from all your favourite galactic sports. Zero-G netball, hotshot ping-pong, the chain-axe-throwing championships, 
Rollerball and 4D chess. All the excitement and only some of the blood. Caution may cause in-flight distraction and accidental plummet into the madness of a demon world. Subscribe now. <laughs> yeah, please send in please send in your uh, suggestions for Warhammer sports from all the all the different factions. What would orcs play? Would it be a version of rugby with but with death? With squigs. Rugby with squigs. Rugby with squigs. I suppose that's blood bowl, isn't it? Anyway, uh, we're now going to come on to our main topic of the show, what to do if your narrative team is uncompetitive. As much as we like to talk about the fluffing kill team, and we do, it is a war game, and typically there will usually be a winner and a loser, though as we heard earlier, draws are indeed possible. It's also a game of skill rather than luck, and the player ability might be the primary factor in the relative win percentages in your narrative group. Yes, there are dice rolls, and sometimes these can be these can be influential. But good players will take that into account. So, what can we do? Let's have a look at a couple of the issues. So, I think importantly, this is entertainment, and you should be having fun, or at least having a satisfying time. And if you're not having fun, then why are we playing? It's important to remember that a narrative campaign isn't a tournament, and you'll want to keep your opponents coming back next week and the week after. If people aren't having fun, they may drop out and your campaign may die. Are some players always winning or others always losing? If so, you may have an issue eventually. So, we'll have a look at one of the more obvious ones, and this is experience versus newbie. Kill Team, and I still can't believe this really, is somehow takes really quite a few games to be good at and to even learn the basics. I don't know, I'm thinking kind of 10 games? I <laughs> don't know what you guys think. I think that sounds about right. Yeah. Nick, when did you think, how many games in do you think you felt, I've got this now? It probably, it's probably around 10, although I, I my introduction to Kill Team was basically I did two intro games and then I played it at the LGT when they, when it, when the new edition launched, so then I had eight competitive games in a row. Oh well, that's a baptism of fire. He got his 10 games out all in all in one go but here's the thing if 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 uh, an experienced player who knows the core rules and their teams uh, their team's rules inside out they're going to have a huge advantage against somebody who, who doesn't i mean just to just to highlight one thing if if one player knows how obscuring works and the other person is less clear on how obscuring works that's just one huge advantage right there so that's one issue in your group, what's the mix like? Do people mainly run compendium teams, or is it a lot of the new bespoke teams, or is it kind of a 50-50 balance? Do people prefer fluffy teams, or way more optimised and number crunchy, because that's what they enjoy? Are you a big fan of Crute, and you, or, or you can't let go of your intercessors and love a stealth suit? If you then find yourself up against Harlequins, Vetguard and Pathfinders, it may not go so well. Also, bespoke teams can be super complicated, and you might even choose a compendium team just for the simplicity. I know for certain that Nick's been, not struggling, but learning all the rules for the new Phobos team has been a long process. Whereas I am swinging around with four custodies, and it's uh, I refer to them as point and double click. Because it, it's, it's that simple. 
in comparison with the warp coven that I was running beforehand. Yeah, you've managed to pick uh, a com- one of the one of the good competitive <laughs> compendium teams. Yeah, they're um, I think they're still very solid and actually probably a fairly good counter into Phobos as well because how well just from our game it probably took like eight volleys to kill one one orc stodies between like three or four models um and one volley from a guardian spear will probably fairly fairly reliably cripple if not kill a phobos marine in return <laughs> well we trade well uh well the next one is 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 quite relevant and uh to nick um and this is the idea of maxed level teams versus low level ones so if one team is full of grizzled operatives with you know four powers and the other team has adepts it it might be depending on which 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 powers they've got which um, which level ups they've got could be one sided so in, so the game does have a have a facility for if if, if one side is low, really leveled up you get extra command points or equipment points and i think this and i'll be interested in your views on this this uh, this works okay when one side's a little bit more yeah but when one side is tons more there's only there's only so much you can spend CP on, and I've I've had a couple of games. One against you, Sean, uh, early doors, where I just couldn't spend all the CP I had. <laughs> and just as a note, I mean, uh, and this could be good or bad depending on how you look at it. But elite teams just level up quicker than horde teams because there's just fewer operatives who get similar numbers of XP. So that's something to bear bear in mind then, and. That comes on to another question, which we'll probably cover more thoroughly in a future episode, but which is, when do you retire your team? When when do you end your campaign? But we'll probably cover that more late, later on. Despite just there being a big experience gap between the operatives, is there a big skill gap between the players? On the spectrum of chess down to snakes and ladders, kill team is up near chess, up near the chess end of games where skill counts a lot. There are dice too, but you can't rely on luck to even the playing field by very much, especially over the course of many games. So those are those are some things we've come up with, but should we talk about how we think these impact on the game and maybe maybe some things we might want to to do about it. So what what do you think about experienced versus newbie? You know, you've got a brand new person in your group, you've been playing, you know, you know if we have a brand new person in our group, we had someone join quite recently. I'm not sure how experienced a player they are. But if they're not, how do we just not stomp all over? <laughs> I say we, like I could stomp over anyone. But the uh, but, but the fact that I, I you know I, I at least know my own team reasonably well now. You know, and someone and I look back when I had vet guard when I started. Oh my god, the amount of rules I had to to do i felt i did pretty good by about game five or six using most of my strategic ploys that, you didn't that have to like look a... at the look at the book as much <laughs> well <laughs> nearly anyway what, what do you think <laughs> this this is an issue i can start with some thoughts I, I think experience versus newbie is probably always going to be a little bit one-sided especially especially if you have a bespoke team and they have a compendium team for instance so I, if you're going into that as a newbie, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be hyper focused on winning. Almost, I would probably be more focused on maximizing your XP gain and um, also just getting your spec ops. Because I actually think finishing your spec ops, besides 
it being like an overriding narrative point for the campaign, which is kind of why you're playing in the first place. Conversely, also, the, the rewards you get from doing it will help boost your team in the longer term, just because, you know, getting the rare equipment or, you know, fairly large chunks of XP in one go is probably more important than winning the game, but if you've got, like, only one, zero, or one or two XP on a few models, because you're, you're just not going to catch up. And I, I'd probably also take it away, take away from it that it's, um, you might lose, but you'll learn from the process. So next time it will be less one-sided, and then you know over the course of you know a couple of months, when you've, if you're playing games consistently, you know by the end it should be, you would hope, a f more even experience. Definitely, I I think if if you are someone who's fresh to kill team going up against someone who may have been playing since the start of this edition I would take a game against them as a learning experience rather than like I'm going to try and win against this person which of course like give it a go but they will likely know all if not most of the rules inside and out and I would take that as like ask them all the questions mm. while you're playing like just because just cause we're in this, this matchup it doesn't have to be like a sterile environment like as you're playing talk it through i still do it now in my games like against my game against nick yesterday i was like i want to move him there and if he's there can he see this guy to shoot and like you work through your turn mm. with your opponent obviously if they want to play along but uh i think i think leaning on their experience to make your game better is is almost invaluable yeah I mean, to give a spirit, give an example, because uh, Ant, Ant, who recently joined the campaign with his, with his, you know, really stunning crew, is is very new to the game. I think he's only at this point he's only played, I think that was his sixth game, the one we played. Yeah. So you know, the it's always going to be a bit of an uphill struggle for that one. But we basically, it was basically me saying why I was doing certain moves to you know score my primary or my secondary, uh, and you know. I also gave him pointers on, you know, what I would do if I was in his position, if I want to, you know, get this, score this tack up, or, you know, to guarantee his spec up, um, or, you know, like, target priority, and things like that. And, you know, if there's something, like, not completely, completely optimal, because, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's a more fun, relaxed narrative game versus compared to a tournament game, you know, I, I think take backs in that scenario are perfectly fine if you want to. Yeah. You know, give, uh, you know, like actively correct a mistake, which you know potentially could have been quite fatal. I am um, my my first two ever games of Kill Team were with Guy, who <laughs> is is uh, he's good, but he's he's a total gent, and he 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 very much like you were saying, Nick. He was, I think, I, I, he was playing Warp Coven, and I was playing five person infiltrator team. So I didn't even have six models at the time, and obviously didn't know what I was doing. And he was he he was great insofar as obviously I had very little comprehension of all the rules, and and uh, obviously I lost. But he was very good at going. You've forgotten this rule, mm. you know. Don't don't forget, you know. You've got a tack up that does this thing or something like that. And that was that was super nice as a as a as a new player. And and, and you know it goes without saying that if. If, if, if your first couple of games 
are just being stomped on by by an alpha alpha player. Yeah. Maybe maybe you won't see this person again. So taking that approach that you, you've done, Nick, and um, I've, I've I've experienced myself. You know, it's the sort of thing that's kept me wanting to to carry on in this game. You could uh you could treat that alpha player as an Elden Ring boss that you you'll come back to once you're mm. stronger and uh and a better player. I have no idea what this Elden Ring thing is. Everyone oh, lost on you, lost on you. The kids are I, loving it. I got the reference, and I agree. That's probably guy in our group. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ne- next up, what what are your thoughts on Compendium versus Bespoke? Now, clearly, as we've already mentioned with Sean and his Orc Stodias, not all Compendium teams are equal. But but you mentioned you mentioned Ant with his crew team, which. I think well, I've mentioned on this podcast before, I'm in love with narratively. I think they're fantastic. I think they make yeah. for a great, the, the kind of things they do make for a great campaign, but the rules really just weren't, weren't there for them. And it's, it's, it was hard going. And it's good to hear from your game, Nick, that, that things have just are, are, are better now. But is that the kind of thing? Do you, would, would you guys suggest if someone else finds themselves in this position to sort of, give some boosts are there any strategies that you you'd think about with that so our our group isn't against homebrewing some things to like make it a more even playing field we we're not one to give people super buffs so that they lift them up into the stratosphere but uh an example like in our in our campaign zero as it were when i was playing my death watch i lost seven or nine games in a row like my first my first ones they were all heavy losses so we just we were just like, okay, why don't you just try taking an extra normal body? So we trial ran six marine bodies about four months before GW made it an official thing. So that that proves that what we were thinking was was in line with what would make things more balanced. And we've done that. We've done that. We've added. We've kind of tried to remix the crew rules a little bit to to bring them in line with the with the same kind of a a buff to them as it were but it's yeah it's in no way made them way 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 overpowered it's it's just bringing them probably to where they should have been to begin with yeah no i think i think having a a game master you know who's willing to be flexible sorry not that having a game master who's willing to be flexible and um you know buff a team up that is really struggling is a good thing because ultimately like you said Jason you still want people to come back and play you know if they really really like that team and they're they're not good and constantly lose you know then odds are they're you know eventually they're going to exit because you know losing all the time isn't fun no it's um, not fun um, right I've got a controversial I've got a controversial thing and I'd just like to, to hear your thoughts on it so controversial statement should should the more skillful players and we mentioned that this is a skill game and winning you should if you're good if you're better you should win more games over the aggregate of a campaign maybe yeah um but should uh if you're acknowledged as being very good you know like some somebody wins tournaments or or just does very well should you be basically not allowed to take a top tier team <laughs> should you you know or encouraged perhaps encouraged is the better way so i think I think on that point, um, to bring Guy up again, the reason he's running Corsairs now is because he thinks they are the less competitive team out of all his other kill teams. 
So he was running them as a fun, fluffy narrative thing. Yes, he's absolutely cracking with them, but that's because he's a cracking player. Rather than them being, like, really overpowered. I don't know. I, I'm i a big fan of let people take what they want. Um, and up until building up these Phobos Marines, I have only got compendium teams. Like, I've got my Death Watch... That's a real lie, because I have Warp Coven, so I'm just going to scratch that point. <laughs> but I didn't enjoy playing Warp Coven. I enjoyed something a bit more simple, which is why I've gone back to Custodes now. But, I don't know, it's... Mm, I don't I don't think you should put restrictions on what people can play, but I, it is a tricky balancing issue, because, um, you know, if you had Guy and he had Void Dancers, for instance, that would probably be a... You've probably steamrolled every game, and they're already kind of unfun to play against anyway, because their whole thing is we'll ignore all the core rules of the game. Look out! Look out in a future episode for funnest teams. <laughs> yes, do. Survey link is in the description. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you should be. I don't think they should be restricted. But I, I, I think we'll, we'll probably come on to this. I think when we talk about solutions. But I think what we've done, where you have two teams effectively, so you can have two teams in the campaign. So, you know, they can have their passion. You can still have your passion project if it's, you know, say is a super competitive team like Pathfinders or Vord Dancers or uh, Novitiates, uh, also super good. But then you could also have, you know, a, maybe a, a team which isn't quite as hardcore, which you know you you can then bring out. So it's not the same get, it's not the same team every game, uh, and you know, you people still get a chance to play something that's a bit more beatable. So this is something that our group has done is that people uh, like yourself, Nick, whose first teams in this campaign have gotten so leveled up, like your your uh, Hydra's Fangs, they are a bit oppressive to play against mm -hmm. if your team's not at that level. So what our group's done is that people can have two teams. And if you're finding yourself on the, on the winning side of that uh, imbalance, you can just take a fresh team. And that way you can have fun games against people who are lower leveled or haven't been able to get as many games in so they're not as ranked up or or just if you fancy something different, you know? So that's why Nick's got his Phobos Marines now and he's learning a new team because you've been playing with Legionaries for, for a good two, three months now and you know yeah. them inside out and now now you're giving your, your brain a bit of a reset because you're learning new rules you're you're working out new strategies and everything and it's less muscle memory you're putting yourself back down to that learning level um and i think quite a few players in our group have have taken on that opportunity and some of these new players actually die yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh i know it's a big change from <laughs> big change from my legionaries with how just how hard as nails they are but we'll, we'll talk about that i think on the very shortly on the um the min-maxing, yeah. Uh, point, um, but yes, they're very much, they're very much a, they're a much more squishier team as uh, Sean can attest to with the easy cuts through them. With his <laughs> when you compare it to our game when with Legionaries, when I, I think I tabled you beginning turn three. Yeah, yeah. So is it the case that um, the Orc Stodias are only going to get even harder to kill as you level up, or do, do, they, do they go down a different? So I've I've specifically chosen because I've only got four of them. I've specifically said that each one of them is going into one of the four 
specialization. So they're not all going staunch. They're not all getting harder and harder to kill. My my guy with the sword and shield, he's going scout. So my idea is that he can forward deploy or he can do a free dash. And he's like he's gonna be the one that like goes up the field. One of them, he's a sharpshooter, so he's the one always trying to get up on vantage and trying to take pot shots from my from my back line as it were. My my leader is the one who is staunch, so because I obviously want you know, nineteen wounds now, I want them to keep as many of them as possible. And then my Wobble Wrecker, the the one holding the massive two handed axe over the top of his head, he's my combat specialist. So so him and my sword and shield, I want them up in the field, the other guys can hang back, or like I want them each to feel as we were saying with the inspiration with the A team, like each of them has their niche rather than I'm running four of the same guys. That's narratively quite nice actually. Uh, like but that's that. a that's a restriction I've put on myself because I want to showcase their abilities. I mean, I could talk about my Phobos, my legionaries here, I guess. So, from a narrative perspective, most of them, excluding excluding the Shrive Talon, who's called the Team Pathfinder, are in Staunch. Partly, this is addressing the one weakness that elite teams have, which is durability. If you lose a model. So having extra wounds or feel no pain just to keep them around longer, or ignore AP1, which is probably the biggest bit of that. Yeah, it makes it basically kind of fixes what these the only weakness. What is the only weakness for the team? But it wasn't just from a min-maxing perspective. I mean, from the outset, the 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 whole the whole idea behind the team was I basically wanted everyone in Terminator armor by the end of the campaign. So I built towards bonuses which would reflect that. But you also, you narratively modelled the same models but in Terminator armour, so that when when they did receive a certain amount of boons, you could swap out the model and go like, look, they've had a fancy new upgrade, didn't you? Yeah, I have, I have, uh, so my Hydra's Fangs are Alpha Legion, and I have five, I've got five Lunarian Terminators and a Terminator Praetor to represent all the models in their armour. The only one who's actually base Legionary now is the the Shrive Talon with the two knives uh, which I will eventually I just need to paint the Termin- Terminator armor now but there oh, was no, a narrative re- work. <laughs> yeah but there was a narrative reason behind it and I, I basically focused all my um, my roles for upgrades on Staunch to kind of reflect the fact that they're in Terminator armor they should be harder to kill and it's probably also worth noting that not all not all battle honor trees are equal. I don't Not think. Not at all. I think staunch and scout are easily the best two from like the default, just because they either make you really hard to kill, or scout kind of lets you ignore a whole bunch of core rules. And not all bespoke teams battle honors are equal either. Like the, to be honest, I don't think there is a bad legionary battle honor. Like their worst one is all your melee weapons get brutal, and then you have like other ones which give you two up ballistic skill or two up armor. Or uh, you get plus one APL when you're injured, so it's quite hard. It, it's conversely actually quite hard to make a bad legionary. And they also have just loads of ways to get extra experience uh, outside of outside of games as well, like getting D3 for the model who kills the leader. So they also just level up really quickly. I do think they're quite. I do feel like they fit the narrative, but it can be. They can be a little what, bit oppressive. Because what nobody ever talks about, because there's there's lots of videos on um, how teams do in tournaments and you know win percentages yeah. or sort of thing, and but well, we don't have the equivalent of that in in narrative play, you know. Not so, yet. So, 
No, yeah. Well, we no, no, no. Yeah, who who's talking about it? I suppose apart <laughs> from us. But the you know, like it works both ways. You know, like we the 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 Hunter Clay got a, a buff recently because they were supposedly terrible. But in narrative, they've got a couple of narrative-y things that actually mm. made them, you know, considerably better. I haven't and won against them yet. No, well, let's put it down to the, they were just narratively brilliant or something. Dave P is a master. But, but yeah, but it, it, it does feel to me, certainly, that, that, that narrative, certainly once you're a few games in and you've leveled a few people up, it's it's a different, you know, the, 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 the shake of the teams can be can be different. And if you did a you know, a tier list, I don't know, and a moderately leveled team, <laughs> it would be a different tier list probably than uh, the tournament one, I suspect, yeah. although we've never done it. Yeah, I definitely feel, um, depending on upgrades you can access, uh, I definitely feel like elite teams get a big boost from um, the narrative campaign uh, if you, you know, build towards certain things. Although I wouldn't say it's equal across them. Like the Phobos, for instance, um, you know, only the medic can take Staunch, for instance. So you're you're going to have a much easier time uh, when we do play of killing them. Got a game tomorrow, I think. So let's, let's yeah. see if I can't off him. <laughs> let's see how he does against a mining laser. Yeah, you're, the trick will be shooting them, I think, because um, oh, yeah, there'll, there'll, be there'll, be, there'll be smoke grenades everywhere. Damn, damn, damn those sneaky, sneaky things. So it'd be, it'd be different from not being able to, to be able to shoot them but not kill them to just not being able to see them. Yeah, it's yeah. just a different <laughs> problem. It's a different problem. So that's really interesting. And yeah, levelling up, blimey, that's such a thing. And what do you guys feel about the CP? So you get extra, you know, you go up against a much, much more level team, you get CP. What's your feelings on, is that a proper leveller? I think I think and Nick might agree with me is that the EP is probably worth more over the CP, like being able to take more equipment. Oh, like re rolls are great, but over the course of a game, getting the get, getting the extra CP. Like we've played games where Nick, your Tyranid into my Death Watch, you started with like mm. six extra CP or something, and you did get through it, but it was mainly on re rolls to try and mitigate. Some of the, some of the rather oppressive damage that was coming your way, like making sure you got all those saves and everything. But in regards to like strategic ploys and tack ops, it might free you up with a bit of choice. But I don't think you would do anything differently to what you would normally do, if that makes sense. I I think it gives you optionality. Like that in that game with the Tyranids, it basically meant I, I could lurk every turn to. Um, do the you know the move in the strategic phase and set up charges with gene stealers uh, and then I could also um, or lurk or stalk one of the two I forget I forget it's which it's been a while yeah and it, you know it means you could also use the ploy to let you um, retain two cover saves for instance uh, if you're in if you're behind a barricade albeit not super useful into death watch bolt guns because you can ignore that with no cover I think the CP is helpful but I, I'd agree the, the EP potentially is more useful. I think the issue with the EP is it gives you more equipment points, but it, it's entirely dependent on how much stuff you actually have in your armory to use in the first place. If you're, you know, if you don't have, if you haven't spent like four or five RP on just building up loads of stuff in your stash, 
or you know you've been lucky in getting the rare equipment it's all a little bit moot because you've got okay I've got 10 EP but I've only got 10 EP's worth of equipment in my in my stash anyway so it's not it's not actually helpful it's only helpful on those missions where you get the the mission equipment like on on supply drop where you can mitigate the chance of your objective being cancelled out yeah or, or like the Nackman ones where you can get a rebreather so you can stand in the smog stacks and not lose a defense dice but I almost wonder if there should be a like a generic equipment list you can only you can only access it if there is that there's a disparity between the two teams so you, you're getting the extra EP available to to use it and then you'd a get access to that list as well and then That's maybe you good. might put then maybe you might put some a mix of different equipment to give you tools like for instance say you know say you're fighting my chaos legionaries jason and everyone has ap1 or a four up invon and you know gene steeler cult only have ap1 on like a few guns everyone else has none at all you know then maybe you should have access to like a melter bomb for instance to give you an ap2 weapon which means my um you know my ap1 is ignore ap1 is useless that kind of thing um, sure. I feel that would level the field more than um, just, you know, you get access to what, whatever else is in your armory. Okay, that's pretty interesting. I've got, you know, so, so one, one, one last point, really, which was let's just just accept that you might lose a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we still, we still want better players to win. You know, they should be winning most of the time. It, should, it just shouldn't be every time, maybe. Yeah. And I, I, so I had to, before this podcast, I had to look through my win-loss ratio for the current campaign, and I have played eight games, and I have won three of them. And one of those was against you, Nick, when I had all the advantages of, of the one played. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was obviously a mission decide, designed for this team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, there's a breaks. And but what has got me going through this is just a change of change of attitude uh, in, in the sense that I have focused in every game, I've focused on my spec op, and that has been my win. I've been thinking almost mentally that if I progress my spec op, I have won in quotes, mm. and you know it, it, it's a real loss, a proper loss if I didn't manage to progress my 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 spec up so that that has really softened the blow for me considerably and you've say. you've just you've just completed your first spec up for the team haven't you i've just completed my first spec up and i and you know, and did you get is, some raw equipment for it yes uh nick you you, you you're going to see one of my operatives fly on our next game because <laughs> i've got something called a shadow leap cloak which i thought sounded cool as Very cool, cool af as the kids would say <laughs> i don't know what it means and and then I was I was even thinking well, we haven't done this yet but I was even thinking of one step further and this is something that I would consider uh, on my next uh, sort of campaign team which is personal goals for particular operatives so having giving a couple of them particular things they need to do so and it should be sort of thematic to do with their with their character so uh, you know my you know for instance my leader. Who maybe is okay in close combat, but maybe every time he wins a, you know, incapacitates someone through a close combat, he gets a personal goal or something, and we can we can have a think about how that that might work into the game. But if you, or, or if he does it in six games or five or six games, he can he gets a thing. Yeah, and we can narratively build that in. And I was wondering if personal goals is again 
if you're not winning the whole thing, but you got your spec op and your leader did his special mission. Like little mini spec ops. Yeah. For, that's for what each I was operative. Thinking. Just know, to really break it down. I know um Sal has something similar. Uh, he basically has to do a achieve a certain tack op which isn't linked to his spec op in order to be able to recruit his uh basically captured um battle brothers who uh, the iron warriors have before he can add them to his roster Ooh, that's nice that's good I like yeah that. so he, he's, put a thing. A, he's put a thematic limit on something before he can mechanically progress further in the game that's good we might we might come back to this at some future at a future yeah. episode and explore more uh, specifically so uh the other thing i suppose is just you know, just to finish, is basically suck it up, buttercup. Losing's <laughs> part of wargaming. You know, maybe you know, like you said, Nick, you just got to learn and get better, and just stop, stop your whining, Jason. That kind of thing. I mean, I'm being mildly flippant, but but there is, you got you, you know, this is a com- com- competitive game. There, there is few draws. You've got to slightly, if you're going to do this sort of thing, you've got to accept that, you know, somebody is going to win. I think there's got to be a little degree of that, but I think hopefully what we've talked through kind of helps at least make it not happen every single time, I think, is probably how I think about it. Or at least if it does, maybe change your mindset on this is a terrible, terrible thing. I, yeah. yeah, or there's always um, knitting or something. Yeah. You know, an <laughs> no, I don't, mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with losing. Like I, I've yet to be guy or um dave uh, the other dave in our group the legionaries but you know all the games i've played against them have been um super informative about actually making me a better player generally i think that would that would be the that would be my takeaway it's okay to lose just as long as you you play your best and you know you you take the learnings from that and then you know play better next time yeah and if you do do find yourself winning out there don't you know, shout in their face, loser, loser. Yeah. <laughs> in the, I can tell you as, haven't rehearsed that one, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea. I've no, idea. no, I mean, I, 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 I think my overall win percentage is of something like a third. I win about a third of my game, something like that. Maybe I, I think can't that's pretty good. exactly, and that's fine because I think if I was only playing competitive matches i just wouldn't be doing this game i just don't think i would be doing it but the narrative side really just makes up and most of the time even a loss i've had a fun evening usually with someone i quite like hanging out with and you know present company accepted obviously and um that's good enough for me i've got a little story that i write and it's all it's all good fun at the end yeah i think i was i was going to say that uh games workshop for a balanced team, they want the win rate to be between either 40 and 60 or 45 and 55% like a, a win-loss rate. So, you know, if if within the next two games, Jason, you win one of them, that's 40%. <laughs> wow. Uh, maths don't lie. I like it. Uh, I just thought, just, 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 to, just to end on a, on, a, on a, you know, excuses, the Worm Blade are all good turn one. And I think every single person I play now has worked out just hide turn one, and it 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 will go better for you. Nothing you can do. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I think that's true to a degree, but um, I think the problem is if you let the Wormblade just come out turn one, sometimes it can be quite hard to come back on the primary. So you should be cautious, but I'd, I'd also say you shouldn't be afraid to be aggressive as well. Nick, don't let the cat out of the bag. I was, I was, it's right. I was, Nick, was... Nick's going to be hiding turn one, two, three, and four. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. It was hiding, but admittedly, standing out in the open, it's just on a token in front of him, so you just can't see him. Um, but... He's got his invisibility spray on. Yeah. But no, you shouldn't be afraid to be aggressive, although that, that usually is what comes back to bite me in competitive games with my legionaries being too aggressive. <laughs> we just love to roll dice. Yeah. We, do like, we do like to roll dice. Well... Thanks very much, Nick, for coming on the episode. I really appreciate you coming on. We love having guests. Yeah, thank you. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so next time on Once Upon a Kill Team, we'll be talking about which teams are the funnest to play and play against. Not the best, not the wingingest, and not even the best looking. The team that gives you the most joy. The Inquisition needs your input. Uh, we're getting your opinions on which kill teams are the funnest. There is a survey that we would urge you to fill in if you haven't done so already. And there are only two questions, so it should take less than 30 seconds. There's a link to the survey in the show notes. Show your funnest kill teams. And if what you heard in this podcast sounds even remotely interesting, subscribe and tell your friends. For every subscription to the podcast, your League of Votan kin shrinks an extra centimetre but the beard is longer for it. So we'll drink to that. Skull. Skull. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Once Upon a Kill Team. Just remember, it's not whether you won or lost. It's whether your sister of silence discovers a nest of unsanctioned psychers and is able to immolate them in cleansing flames before being shredded by malefic heavy bolter rounds from the heretic space marine. See you next time.